Okie dokie. Here we go. <laughs> Hi guys, welcome back to Even More Eyes. Nostalgia hits differently. We are still looking at the Hannibal franchise from uh, Science of the Lambs to Hannibal Rising. Today we're going to talk about what was for a period the final sort of part of the trilogy, Red Dragon, directed by Brett Ratner. Emor, you said uh, before you haven't seen this one, so this this is a bit more of a review for no, you. I just feel like now I'm just doing film reviews of old movies, which is great. So, <laughs> so I do remember this one relatively well. Um, I probably saw it around the same time again, sort of seeing Hannibal, and actually I preferred this one a lot more than Hannibal. Um, I don't think it was much of a surprise based mm. on what we said last week. And it felt to me a lot closer to Science of the Lambs in terms of a bit more of a you know investigator going after a serial killer, Ed Norton having to go down and see Anthony Hopkins in the cell. It obviously used a lot of the same sets, a lot of the same actors as Science of the Lambs. So the sort of the tone of it, the feel of it, even some of the look of it was very close to that previous film yeah. and i think probably that's what they were trying to go for yeah. as a prequel to um, yes to silence i think this is the film that made me think more about the idea of serial killers being the product of years of systematic abuse or abuse within the family as you see with ray fines's character mm. francis dollarhide um and trying mm. to understand yeah. where that predisposition or at least not the predisposition but how someone ends up doing these perverse acts of violence some of the alter ego stuff with creating this really grandiose identity which we'd seen a little bit of in silence but i think red dragon takes it to another sort of extreme really um yeah, yeah, so overall, I mean, I did really like this film when I first watched it. It was also quite tense and creepy. Uh, the scene with Philip Seymour Hoffman in the wheelchair was particularly disturbing. Uh, and I think it was probably one of the first times I actually saw Philip Seymour Hoffman as well act. This this sort of very chumpish, horrible, greasy reporter. Um, I didn't realise how good an actor he yeah. was. <laughs> I just thought, oh yeah. yes, this is what this guy's like. And I, I thought I thought everyone was really on the top <laughs> of their game, really. Like, I thought Ray Fiennes was really good in it. Anthony Hopkins had seen, obviously, yeah. the previous two, so I quite enjoyed him in this. In a way, yeah. it was sort of a return to the lecture of Science of the Lambs as opposed to what we saw in Hannibal. Though I suppose that yeah. there still was a little bit of that more mischievous edge that we'd seen in Hannibal, which was sort of there in silence, yes, but not yes, as yes. much. So yeah, yeah, overall I quite liked Red Dragon. Yeah. How about you? So now sort of I mean, watching it for the first I time. I would I would say the mm. same because Red Dragon felt more like, okay, this fits nicely, you know, with Silence of the Lambs being the first of all the films. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the character of Hannibal a lot more consistent. Mm-hmm. It felt a lot more like the very first one, but then also had a few of the little traits of what we had seen in the Hannibal movie, yeah. the whole detective drama kind of tone of, of it. I liked that because it felt more like, okay, we are back to Hannibal being this 
supporting bad guy character within a much larger scheme as opposed to the Hannibal film where he was really just the person everyone was trying to get yeah. at. I think that's what made it not feel the same. I like the fact that they really tried to recreate that old look. I think even the camera work and the filters that they used felt a lot older than probably when that film was shot because when I was watching it, I kept thinking, if I had watched this before The Silence of the Lambs, I actually probably would have believed that it was made around the same mm, time. Mm, mm. Just because of how well they had tried to keep everything very consistent. Yes, yeah. You know, with using the same sets and everything. Progressively, as far as the storyline is concerned, much like you, significantly prefer to Hannibal. If I were to rate the two of them in terms of how I was following the storyline, I'll put like that I'll put Hannibal on like a four <laughs> out of ten. <laughs> No, honestly, because I was not finding that shit funny. No, um, no, no, I'm right. I would put Hannibal on like a 4 out of 10. And I would put this on somewhere around like a 7.5 to 8.5. Okay, that's you know, it's. I think why it's not given like a 10 is because I could already smell some cliches happening from the very mm -hmm. beginning. So like, I could say, okay, fine. I knew that, you know, the uh, detective's wife was eventually going to have to shoot the uh, serial killer from that scene when she was practicing how to shoot on yes, the other, just like, yeah, yeah, this, is yeah, just, yeah, yeah. this is just a setup to something. So I know she is eventually going to have to kill yeah, this man, but that's yeah. fine. And then, you know, the fact that I knew Edward Norton's character was eventually going to end up in trouble with Hannibal from the outset, mm -hmm. because she was warning him about, you know, don't go back into this, don't go back into this. And he did the same thing that I guess Clarice Starling was well known for, which is just following whatever feelings are dominating in that moment and went back in and obviously yes he helped find the guy because according to Hannibal he thinks like you know a serial killer or something and it can um, imagine things from alternative perspectives which I guess was his real strong suit as a detective but the fact that I could already tell that those particular tropes were going to happen kind of made it go eh for me I think the part that actually really caught me by surprise was um I guess maybe this is more of a testament to how good the acting was, but I honestly thought that D, the serial killer, actually had killed himself, oh, not knowing that he was just taking advantage of the fact that yeah, see, that he was just taking advantage of the, the fact that the, like the lady the was twist blind. Ending. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, that twist ending that did get me, and that's probably why I did really enjoy this because it felt like okay. It still had a couple of tricks up its sleeve. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all that. Um, yeah, so ultimately, significantly better watching experience. Yes, I had emotionally checked out slightly from the very beginning when he was diving back into the investigation, much like, because I was tired of that Clarice level nonsense. I'm like, look, do not endanger yourself in the course of your whatever sense of immorality. I don't get it. Like, why are you doing yeah. this? But I mean, at the same time, I was like, if if he doesn't do this, we are we are not going to have a film. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's always one of those things, isn't it? If, it? if he turned around and said to Crawford, like, no, I'm not getting involved. Actually... I'm not doing it. Absolutely not. No, sorry, I'm going to keep on fixing my boats. Never mind. Craw you know... Exactly. But I, we wouldn't have a yeah. film. I mean, and I think, therefore, what I realised this time watching it, sort of concentrating on these films having sort of three main characters usually... So Hannibal's always yes. there somewhere. Yeah. In this, you had obviously Will yes. Graham, and then you had uh, D. Francis Dollarhide. I think for me, with Will Graham, yeah. what I realised is, yeah, it's another one of these instances where you have a character who clearly has, like Clarice, 
and like Hannibal, I guess, in a way, a sort of sense of mm. empathy or a sense of at least trying to understand these really you know, horrific impulses or fantasies and so on. And like uh, Hannibal says to him at the beginning, it's a mixture of a gift, so it enables him to try and help people. But at the same time, it's also a burden. You know, you wonder what you know, yeah. goes on inside Will Graham's head. And I think that's why it was such a great thing to pick Ed Norton, really, because he does seem at times quite sort of tortured and he seems to bear yes, quite a lot. Yes. And that scene where he's going down to see Hannibal in the cell and then you could see how he's trying to hold himself together a little bit and try to be as gritty yeah. as he can. And then when he walks out and he takes his jacket off, he's got these huge sweat stains on his shirt. Yeah. So there's clearly yeah. a sense that he he really sort of feels this stuff. And the film tries to, I think, put you very much in his position. It is a little bit, yeah. the bit where he's kind of surrounded by all the pictures and Danny Elfman's music's going off. He's like... <laughs> You know, looking at all the pages, and then he's like, "Oh my god, you son of a bitch!" You know, he touched the eyes. He touched the eyes. So there's a little bit of the thriller, yeah. you know, like you said, detective thriller. Hey, Eureka, I've got gotcha, you. Sort of moments. But then I really yeah, liked exactly. what they did at the end of it, where he used a mm. sort of sense of again empathy or understanding against Dollarhide. So there's a scene, obviously, yes. where he talks about, I read the book and it was it was just absolutely terrible. I, I, mm. I think very much underlining it for the audience. Like this guy was clearly, you know, yeah. tortured and, and had been abused as a child. But yeah. then when he used that to save his son, saying to yeah. Ray Fiennes, or saying to the son, but really saying to Ray Fiennes, like, you dirty little beast. And yeah. I think that worked really well. Yes, so yes. the film for me became about, yeah. can Will Graham... Again, a bit like Clarice, can he come to terms with his own demons? Because this is a film which uses and dabbles in psychology. I guess there's these degrees of self-actualization or at least coming to terms with these inhibitions that prevent them from being Mm. full people or coming to terms with their previous traumas. And I think that that really came through quite strongly for me. So I could sort of understand the moments with Graham where you have such reluctance, there are certain zones yeah. where you think he would be really uncomfortable, i.e. like in, when he goes into the house and stuff like that. Um, but yeah. then when he decides later on in the film to go and see Hannibal again, that he takes that particular step, I think that shows some sense that he's mm. he is trying to come to terms with this, uh, th- yeah. this ability that he has, which blurs the line between him as a, a so-called moral upstanding citizen fbi you know with um someone like hannibal yeah (laughs) so yeah so i i think for me the graham character i like the performance but i also like the particular progression in this film yeah i think the graham character was to me slightly more tolerable than uh, clarice for two Mm. reasons one he did have that sense of morality and everything but i think maybe it was the way the two characters were represented because there were these little shots in the film that showed that the reason he was doing this was based on his own experience as like a family man, thinking about the serial mm. killer going into families, killing the wife, killing the children, everything. So he could almost place himself in the position of the victims, which I guess helped his um, 
conviction towards getting back into the uh, investigation. So in that regard, I could sort of understand where it came from. I think for me, I just have a very strong sense of self-preservation. So most of the time, if, if, if anything involves me putting myself at risk, absolutely not. Like I will move to the Maldives. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not yeah. doing it. But at the same time, I could kind of understand where it came from for him because he had to do this for the sake of making sure the serial killer did not target any more people, you know, using the psychology. And I think that's where he steps aside from Clarice, because I think for Clarice, a lot of the stuff she knows about psychology is theoretical. Like she's just working based on whatever she's studied as an understudy in a psychology department. While for Will, it's almost like he is reverse engineering the serial killer's mindset using his own um, capacities for um, imagination. Mm. So his approach to the investigation felt a lot more, should I say, organic than Clarice, who was just comparing notes and whatever yeah. she was what, doing. I, um, so in, in that sense, I kind of like, yeah. No, sorry. no, I, I was just going to say, I mean, obviously there are two very different points of their careers aren't they and there's also like Clarice yeah. trying to have to very true prove actually, herself yeah. against a very male yeah. in or very in, in a very male dominated profession and I yes. think therefore yes. proving to herself because there's all those comments isn't there with like Chilton like uh, you know you yeah. using a woman to turn him on and she's like look you know it's not a charm school where I went to so um, yeah. I can understand her desire to try and excel and maybe try to cling to the yes. tenets of the profession that she's in in order to say, well, look, I am an institutional person, which is why that worked quite well in Hannibal when the institution yeah. was proven to be you know, utterly corrupt. Yes, yes. I think for Will as well, I think you're absolutely yes. right. The, it was little subtle things that stood out to me this time, which was, so he goes into the house, obviously the Leeds house, which is, is kind of played a little bit thrillery and a little bit for spectacle. So, you know, when he goes upstairs and he turns the mm. light on in the room and then there's this sort of, yeah. you know, it's like, you know, exactly. That, one, just... one of the major, um, <laughs> very jump yeah, scary. Exactly. But the thing is that what interested me, I was, I sort of wondered why didn't he just switch lights on and things like that? And then I'm thinking, no, he's trying to put himself in the shoes of the killer. Yes. And then yes. the other thing as well, which is why you wonder how, why it took him so long to make the connection between him sitting in the chair watching the videotapes, which, of course, is what Dollarhide mm. would later do in the film. We know that's how he selected his yeah. victims. And Hannibal, obviously, is laying it yeah. out big time. You look but didn't see and all this stuff. So I, I like yeah. the fact that you yeah. not only did he talk about oh, uh, this one's never going to stop and he's impulsive and things like that. The way in which they had directed it and the way in which Ed Norton played it was very much to, without saying to the audience, this is what he's doing, or telling the audience what he's doing, they were trying to show that he was always putting himself in this very mm. difficult circumstance. Yeah, and that's the thing that I liked about Edward Norton's mm. character. Now, speaking of, because when you were talking about Clarice and the, you know, being in a very masculine dominated place. It took me into the whole masculine ideal that was supposed to be represented by Dollar yes, Yeah. Because there was that whole part in the movie where everyone's talking about, oh, you must be so strong, you know, we don't really care about your face and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, this sounds like a lot of, you know, the a rugged, tough man that is supposed to be also sexy. Mm. But 
what I found really also funny and interesting was that tying it to the previous two films, it felt like, oh, we finally found a bad guy that was the antithesis of the thing you've been trying to vilify for this whole yes, time. Yeah. Because the first one was transgender. The second one was gay. Finally, we have what toxic masculinity as a bad guy. Okay, thanks. <laughs> that, I couldn't help having that thought process yeah. when I saw the whole scene with him lifting like the barbell yeah like, yeah it's true i was like okay so i was like okay so we've we finally come full circle you know let's just like tick off all the boxes yeah, well, I, I almost felt like this film from that particular perspective was uh almost a bit of an apology it was like yeah yes well, serial I was just killers, like, oh, thank you finally serial killers are also from at the same time, he he is a bit of an outsider, and there's a whole thing about facial disfigurement. Yes. I mean, he, in a sense, he's yeah. I don't want to say he whether he's disabled or not, but he had you know obviously he'd had a lot of corrective yes. surgery. I get what yeah. you mean. I mean, technically, yes, he because he would have been classed as disabled before the M corrective surgery. So in a way, is it also vilifying another subset again? <laughs> that was sorry, <laughs> but I I think what did stand or am I just. What I was thinking about that, I'm like, am I just being that problematic SJW who is just being <laughs> and triggered at like everything? Well, no, but the other side of this is that because I was I was thinking about it. Well, yeah. I was going to say the other side of this though is that no, is the the alter ego is is a hyper masculine ideal. I mean, the dragon. Um, yes. Yeah. Exactly. Because even you know, the, what I I'd sort of forgotten about or hadn't really seen before in when watching this film was obviously that painting by Blake and and the Bible verse is about the, yeah. the great red dragon and the yeah. woman clothed in the sun, and so suddenly the connection between yeah. why he attacks the women and of course what sort of position Reba is in in the film connects back to mm. what I think is you could argue is a highly sort of misogynistic image of this huge. Yeah. And again, the Blake painting makes it really clear that it's not a dragon as we understand it in the, you know, <laughs> Briar and the last dragon sense or, you know, any, any other kinds of dragons. <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a man with great big wings and so on face distorted yeah. standing over a woman who is in this kind of mixture of just shock and what seems to be total fear and awe as well. And that's who yeah. he's trying to yeah. assume. There's lots of stuff also yeah. about, and which I don't want to go into too much with the whole grandma thing and the, the cruel mother yeah. sort of figure. There's there's all this sort of yes. stuff and castration. It's almost like a sort of justified misogyny or something, which is... Mm. Well, I, I, I don't think the film ever... I think the film tries to actually present the hot dollar hide character in a way which is a mixture of horror at him as this sort of bogeyman or monster of the film. And that scene with yeah. Philip Seymour Hoffman is the kind of spectacle of the film where you see him at his yeah. kind of uh, heights. Though, to be honest, I couldn't separate Ray Fiennes doing that because he's wearing this kind of black kimono. <laughs> I just kept thinking of Voldemort. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah you know, there, there was this kind of weird the way he was walking around because i don't think also 
bar the face. I don't think Ray Fiennes had much makeup else makeup for uh, for Voldemort. No. But anyway, no. so uh, that's on no. our Harry Potter uh, episode. If you want to go check that out. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so self plug. There was there was an element where you see him, as I say, at his most horrible. There's also I have to admit, which is which is horrific. There's that bit where he goes and eats the painting, which I think is a mixture of. Yes. it's kind of lunacy in the sense of yes it's a lunatic move mm. but the way they film the scene with this this bespeckled kind of lady with a with a cardigan over her shoulders and she's sort of staring she goes isn't it beautiful and the next minute you know she's been clobbered on the back of the head yep. there's that kind of dimension of the film for Dollarhide, and then there's also this other side which is about his self-destructive impulses you do come to sort of pity this character you the thing with reba yeah in a sense is a cry for help you know that that whole scene is is between when he brings her back when he takes her to see the tiger there's a sort of Mm. very uncomfortable but weird but identifiable romance there yeah and yet you know there's just so so much and it's out of sight for her obviously but there's just so much shit going on around all of this so i never thought the film necessarily goes out of its way to say we think that the misogyny that he enacts upon in its most potent destructive form is ever justified so when you talked about the scene with molly you felt like yeah we have to you know she has to be involved in this somehow as well it can't just be about women in this film being totally being victims to this horrific uh, character yeah. To me, I think the whole exploration of the sort of weird, distorted psychology mm. of Dollarhide, I think, was probably a lot more compelling than the other ones. Mm. Yes. Because yeah. if you think about the like because if you think about the one in the Silence of the Lambs, it was just this guy who coveted the female form to the point of essentially turning women into an outfit. And I think it also connects again to that whole ideal of transformation, mm. you know, that has been, that was also in the first one, because in the first one, he was trying to transform himself into a female form, while in Red Dragon, he was trying to transform himself into this thing that is, you know, beyond being an average man, yes. you know, a man dragon. Yes. So in that regard, I could see this ideal of two people trying to escape who they were and their self-hatred around their true forms or something and trying to reach to something that was bigger than themselves. Even though, of course, the way they enacted this was in a very twisted way that involved harming a bunch of other people. And which is why, obviously, this ended up being a detective story rather than a coming of age movie. Mm. But, (laughs) But ultimately, I think... Going back to Hannibal himself. Oh, yeah, he I was going to say, do you want to yeah. <laughs> talk about Hannibal? Yeah. <laughs> I was looking at his character this time, and um, I was also trying to, at least now that I've seen him in three different films, try to understand what Hannibal's own psychology is mm. like, because you only ever get glimpses into it. You don't get like a full exposition like you do with all the other characters who are a part of this whole yes. plot. And the, in this film, I was trying to get a sense of how does Hannibal position himself relative to other people? Is he really in any way different from this red dragon character because in a sense the way Hannibal acts is almost like the rules do not really apply to me in fact the rules never have and I'm just watching all you little headless chickens running around and playing at being part of society when you're all just meat and the way he 
you know, was trying to orchestrate this little game from within his cell between, what's his name, Will? Yeah, Will and, um, uh, and Dollarhide. Okay, like, after Dollarhide kills the reporter and he basically is telling him, you know, how did it feel? Mm. How was your first kill? And I'm like, why are you trying to implicate this man into this mess that, you know, he obviously would be feeling some sense of responsibility for because he was the one who made the reporter leak the whole story to essentially agitate slash aggravate the But the way Hannibal tried to make that look like, oh, you are directly responsible for the death of this man. Like, you know, you are just like me or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's a stretch, sis. Please calm down. (laughs) Well, he... You felt that more in this one, didn't Because he had that the first scene with him where he says at the end, you know, we're very much alike. <laughs> but yes. clearly, I'm like, but clearly <laughs> Will has some sort of a hang-ups about that because you just get, you know, he's tortured by this. Same with Clarice, really. Though I think her moral standard is probably much... Her constitution seems to be much stronger. There is this sort of blurring of the line for Will where he can put himself into the mindset of the Mm. person it's just what are the consequences of that and I think Hannibal is very aware of that I mean that that scene where he's sitting in the cell with him it felt like you know how did you feel it reminded me that obviously this man was a psychiatrist I mean he even says at the start doesn't he how I'd love to get you on my couch (laughs) so why even even the Hannibal of the previous uh, you know, before he goes into the prison is a little bit of a creep, you know, when he's at that dinner scene. Yeah. And when he, she says, oh, tell me, Hannibal, what's in this What's in this dish? And and he's sort of like, if I tell you, yeah. you wouldn't even try it. <laughs> you know, what the hell? <laughs> but yeah, sorry. But um, yeah, I mean, the, the way in which I, very similar to yourself, actually, the way in which I saw him as someone who, like you say, exerts a level of influence Almost like he he feels like he's he's guiding these protagonists or even antagonists. Yes. And I think that in this, it was very much that sort of pyramid between, on the one hand, Dollarhide on, and on the other hand, Will. So he, he's orchestrating it. But yeah. you wonder whether, again, there are sort of other, there's malign intentions there. So he's clearly trying to get back at Will yes. for his, his rudeness for... The, That's what yeah, I was thinking as well. There's a pettiness. Be- because he was the one who ended up sending Will's location yeah, we did yeah to to dollar hide and i'm like okay what was the intention here are you just playing a game to see who comes out on top yeah or, but, or is this your way of like basically i'm setting the hounds on this person who has a wrong deal or yeah something? but like, I, I also wonder for him whether it's yeah. it's a very perverse form of therapy so it's like he he sort of puts these people into positions where they're facing some of their demons or the, or these are the obstacles they've got to get through in order to reach, yeah. I don't know, like whatever. And it's absolutely perverse yeah. because on, on the one hand, you have, if Dollarhide has succeeded, yeah, he gets to become the man dragon, you know, whatever. And mm. it will succeeds, but he's been put into severe danger. And I wonder whether in yeah. Hannibal's twisted sort of, the same with Clarice when he got Clarice to basically admit to the things that the trauma in her life, He's highly perceptive. He obviously has an understanding of human psychology, but it's the way in which he uses it. He has the understanding, but also this absolutely horrific side. I I think it's probably more problematic in a way than, you know, uh, some Mm. of the the acts that he's referred to as doing. 
because he he really does sort of yeah. perceive people's uh, flaws and foibles and so on, and then can turn that against them. Because I was trying to think also about your when you were talking about the villain as protagonist, and so to flip it and look at it from Dollarhide's yes. side, what he's doing in this film, the narrative arc yeah. that he faces, also comes into contact with Hannibal, and Hannibal has particular yeah. influences on him as well. We see that very explicitly. Yes. So I don't know. I mean, I'm sure if you were to get into some form of like Jungian or Freudian or whatever, you can see archetypes and 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 so on. For for mm. that that Hannibal plays for both of these particular uh, characters, he is this sort of like like you said, this sort of guiding mentor figure that you really do not want. Yeah, and, <laughs> and, he, he, and at the same time, it's just like you said, there is that sense of amusement that he just gets out of playing people around like pawns. Oh yeah, yeah. And so I couldn't help seeing why Dollarhide was something of a fanboy mm, mm, mm. because Dollarhide is trying to position himself as this thing that is greater than the average man to which men will submit themselves to and the person he's a fan of is this person who acts like he's greater than the average man and essentially just consumes people like the red dragon would yeah, yeah. Well, I mean? the, the film treats Hannibal so, all, all three of them to some extent have treated Hannibal as a, a real monster figure I mean, he's held in the dungeon. That aesthetic yes. is there in this film. But yeah. he falls outside of these established notions, ideas, institutions. Yeah. He, he has yeah. the ability to step inside and outside of these worlds. I mean, so when we look at Hannibal, for instance, and obviously in Silence as well, we see this individual as apparently highly cultured. You know, he has a real appreciation yes. for certain yes. types of food or certain music or certain mm. artistic works. Yet at the same yeah. time, he can dispense with all of those to, into this other space where these other characters, yeah. I think, are very fearful to go. I mean, it makes me think of that line at the end mm. of the film where he says, we live in sort of strange times of a society that's neither savage nor wise. And he says, either they yeah. kill me or they would do something with me. They give me a purpose. And yet he's in this this yeah. weird sort of limbo. He sort of played for a classic monster figure, bogeyman, mm. someone who almost seems beyond. And it's only probably going to be in the next film that we get to understand his psychology as in how yeah. he grew up and things like that. Yeah. Um, but in these films, there is a sense of unknowability. Yeah. You don't really have much by way of any revelations as to how Hannibal really is. Mm even though everything I'm just saying right now is just trying to guess at yes. what he's yeah. like. But I think what you said is very true about how he sort of sits outside those margins because he is sort of like, he is very difficult to place in any sort of box, which is ironic that because he spends most of the films in different forms of boxes. <laughs> yes. but, yeah. but at the same time, it's like he he is that transcendent character that is sort of like beyond the average person in more ways than one. You know, he has a higher than average um, intelligence. He has a higher than average level of perception. He has an av higher than average level of planning and execution. <laughs> he sort of... You know, I also say he is a high, you know, high, goes beyond level of smell. <laughs> yes. And he has, that's what I'm saying. Like, even his, even his physical attributes seem, you know, beyond the average person. And so he does have all those characteristics that make him look or seem like this man has transcended and then even how he acts is also somewhat transcendent like he is 
one minute he is attending the opera and then the next minute he is disemboweling someone. It's like he he is wherever he feels like being. What was weird was when I saw the title Red Dragon and I saw the descriptions of Red Dragon and what the Red Dragon was trying to be, my first thought was this sounds more like a, like a description of Hannibal than of Edelheid. Mm, mm. This is a literal man-eating dragon. <laughs> so to me, there was that, we could call it a poetic sense of um, attribution, but I felt more like Red Dragon was centering on one character while actually describing a completely different mm, one. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think for... Yeah the way in which it plays with these um, three major characters, I think balances out quite well in this film. And I think as, mm. as a way of introduction, perhaps, to the idea that people are often products of their childhood, both in a positive sense and a negative sense, because that's something that I don't know yeah. I hadn't, for me as a teenager, had not necessarily come to before, and it's a very weird sort of mm. film to, to come, come to such realizations from, you know, but a still. sort of psychological thriller. <laughs> um, the only other thing, to, to not really, two <laughs> two other things stood out for me though, which is kind of we could get into into slightly funnier things. So you know when they switch yeah. off the lights in the cells, and because they they're having yeah. to sort of pretend that they they haven't found the note. So the guy who walks down the hall. Yeah. So I was sort of listening in, and I was thinking, "Hang on a minute, that's a that's a sort of English accent," and he, and this guy's basically yep. sort of like uh, he's slightly cockney. He's like, "Oh, this fucking stupid building! Can't believe it! Can't believe it! Bloody!" I was thinking, hang on, what, what, "What? Hang on a minute, this <laughs> is in Baltimore. Where did you <laughs> Where come the hell from?" Did you come from? It's fucking stupid, Bill. I can't believe it, mate. You know, I was in there with his mask on. What? I just, I, I, I thought that was so funny. I, I, was, I just sort of sat up for a moment. I was like, hang on a minute. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe it was an English guy that moved to Baltimore. I don't know. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, um, yes. And then the only yeah. other thing was, and I don't know whether you noticed this. So, you know, in the final scene when Dollarhide is ramming the door, Mm. Doesn't it look like the flimsiest door in in a movie yes. ever? I was thinking, and somehow he's taking that yeah. long. I was like, I was, I was fully expecting his foot. Yeah, when he ran at it for the first time. Bear in mind, they make a whole thing about he's got this kind of army build. He's incredibly strong, and he's coming up against yeah. this door. And, and it made me think of like The Shining. How long it took for yes. for Jack Nicholson <laughs> to carve his way through what would look like a, a decently thick wooden door, and this. Thing, yeah, so, like you could go up against it in one go, that, you know. So I, I get, I honestly, uh, that, that yeah. When you said like the parallels of The Shining, that was the exact same thing that went through my mind. I was, I was fully expecting him to kick. I was fully expecting to see his foot through the door, and then his face coming, yeah. coming through the hole. Like here's Johnny, <laughs> here's Dragon, here's Dragon, here's Harry Potter. <laughs> oh my god. So, um, those those are the only other two things. I, I mean, those are the only, only other funny, sort of funny things I noticed. Yeah, I didn't really think I spotted that many moments for humor because I think I was just, I think I was too busy trying to overly psychoanalyze everybody mm. in the film. But then again, I do that with every single film I watch. I mean, you you should have seen me during Mean Girls. <laughs> <laughs> 
another horrific psychological thriller. <laughs> she doesn't even go here. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, so, I think, uh, I think that's enough of that. Um, so I, 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 I guess I've sort of done my little summary. Um, so did yeah, you want to? to my, yeah. Okay. So I'd say my summary of this would be: I like the fact that. I think they did a really good job of a prequel to Silence of mm. the Lambs. I like the fact that the similarity in the tropes, especially around being a detective-style film, uh, the tone of the film, the horrific elements, the references to psychology, past trauma, etc., were very much on par. I like the fact that we stepped away from vilifying another marginalized group of people, even though, of course, I could also question whether the vilification now was over someone who was disfigured. Mm. You know, I mean, why why couldn't he just be like a regular ass white man with no problems, just being mad? <laughs> but I guess that's what Anthony Hopkins is. Yeah, so. no, it, this is true. <laughs> I mean, I I think the idea that all psychopaths or serial killers come from must have some baseline. Yeah, or, you know, or live in like a haunted a thing. haunted house. <laughs> yes, and just like really, I mean, you know. Yeah, they they don't anyway, they don't do any gardening um, and things like that. There's there's you know or they have yeah, they have the, some the, disgusting pond or a horrible basement. You know that they're always at yeah, the margins exactly. of society. Uh, that was I think that was the the thing that has kind of like annoyed me through a lot of these films. The fact that the bad guy always has to be some marginalized person and lets us completely step away from the fact that most people who actually do horrific things look like regular ass people, mm. but. Outside of that, I think this was definitely a step up mm. from Hannibal. Oh, yeah. Like the Hannibal film annoyed me on so many <laughs> levels, but but we already went into that. If you want to hear me being exasperated for thirty something straight minutes, watch last week's <laughs> podcast or li- li- or listen to last week's episode. But yeah, ultimately was a pretty enjoyable viewing experience. Enjoyable in the sense that I wasn't exasperated for most <laughs> of it. Not that I, you know, enjoyed watching someone be a serial killer. That's not my kink. Yeah, um, just just, but... <laughs> just so we're clear, you know, there's no condoning or trying to say that serial killers don't commit acts of horrific violence and terror and so yeah. on. Um, yeah. But we, we are trying to yeah, that's understand. Not Please... Plus that, like that whole disclaimer was just so that someone doesn't cancel me on, you know, on Twitter. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, long story short, like the film, would recommend good part of the franchise, and now it feels like I have just done that thing in the film where you set yourself up for a horrific experience because I realized that we're going to be seeing Hannibal Rising next and you haven't sold this well for me. No. So I'm just fully expecting to be annoyed again for like for like two plus hours. But this is the struggle that I committed yeah. to and I will well, deal with it. I, yeah, because, we, we, we will you know, see what happens that, next week. I'm very interested because like I said, I mean, with these films, yeah, I've, I've returned to like Hannibal or Science of the Lambs or Red Dragon quite a few times um, over the years. Um, mm. But Hannibal Rising well, you haven't was, touched well, Hannibal Rising was a one, <laughs> one and done. You know, the, the book was terrible. Yeah, and, and from what I remember, the film was terrible. But we, we will talk about that next time. <laughs> some more of these little chit chats it's so it's so creepy how you get that voice so well but uh, see the, the other like, uh, what was it my, the, the, my, I think the only real stick out line in this one was um, from him was uh, 
yeah, when he says, oh, you want this sort of chit chat, so I may not have time. And it's like, I do. I have oodles. (laughs) 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 Jesus Christ. And also, I mean, that's. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's the sad thing as well, because we won't see any. No, there's no more Hopkins after this. Oh, really? No, no, no. He wouldn't do another. Then what am I watching this for? (laughs) There's one. They did ask him whether he wanted to do anything for Hannibal Rising and. He said no. <laughs> he probably was like no. no. Uh, I but, think he yeah. was done. He was yeah, done with it by this point. And I think Red Dragon, yeah. out, you know, it's not a bad one to go yeah. out on. To be honest, I would yeah. rather have gone I mean, out. With it this is one a, like a pretty good one. Hannibal. I'm happy for it. Let's just watch the final part of this quadrilogy or whatever you yeah. call it. UK. I'm like you, you, you're not selling this for me, but I guess next week everyone would tune in and see exactly how angry I am because you know I have a lot less restraints than James does. <laughs> see you next see you week. Next week. <laughs>